Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I want to talk about something that I've had a number of questions about involving using crypto as a way to earn big money in savings accounts. Also, I need to tell you that the death industry is going through a big, big change. Uh, Funerals, memorial societies, cremations, uh, cemeteries, burials, it's all going through a big, big, big pivot right now. And I need to make sure you know the rules of the game to not get ripped off when you lose a loved one. And I know for a lot of people, it's not about the money, Krista. Yeah. But, you know, people will... It's a very stressful thing on top of an already horrible time. Right. And people will ask me, how do I navigate this? Well, the strategies I recommend are changing, and I'm going to talk about that later. So, Krista, remember you gave me an Ask Clark question again just last month from someone asking about these crypto savings accounts. Yes, yep. And we've had many posts about this. Barron's Magazine, which is, uh, I can't wait till I can read Barron's every Saturday because that's just who (laughs) I am. Uh, Barron's is the most respected of all uh, financial publications in the United States. And Barron's, from its readers, has been getting a lot of questions wanting to know, hey, what am I missing here? I'm, you know, my online bank pays me half a percent on my savings, and I got uh, the, the traditional bank paying one one hundredth of one percent on my savings. They don't even want it. And then this crypto outfit will pay me six percent or eight percent on my savings. What could possibly go wrong? What, what's the deal here? And, you know, I think we also had a Clark Sinks from somebody saying that I was ignoring the fact that this stuff's really, really safe. Uh Uh-uh. So Barron's in even greater detail than I said in answer to the Ask Clark and the Clark Stinks talked at length about why this is very risky on your part. The idea is organizations, if you have a supply of crypto, they want to have your supply of crypto to lend to others. And then they pay you interest on the loan and you make money on what they're paying you and they make money on the spread between what they're paying you versus what they're charging somebody else. And there are many, many, and I'm giving the most simple explanation of it, but there are many, many risks of you losing all the money that you put into one of these. There's no FDIC insurance. There's no NCUA insurance. There's no SIPC equivalent that you'd have on a normal investment account. These are investments you're doing with very high potential risk. You get a yield 
much higher than you normally would get, but then the attendant risk. Now, I know that there are those that feel like I'm anti, 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 anti crypto all the time. And if you go way back in the Wayback Machine, when crypto was first being bandied around and Bitcoin first came along, as I said then, the whole idea of having electronic currency or currency equivalent and having the blockchain ledger, that that all is good fundamental stuff. What's been going on at this point with crypto is still not real. It's not usable routinely every day, and the values are not stable. But then the other thing you should know is there's a lawlessness involved with it. I'm not talking about drug dealers and smugglers using crypto as a way to hide their path. I'm talking about people stealing your crypto from you, what they call crypto heists keep going up and up and up and up. So this is an area with a great deal of risk. There are people who've made enormous money in crypto. There are many others who've been burned. And until it stabilizes as a real credible value form of payment, it is a speculative gambling kind of thing, not investing. I know you call it investing. It is not investing. And speaking of it being a money, so we're all upset in the United States that inflation over the last year has been 5.9 to 6 point whatever percent, whatever it is. It's ugly, right? Cryptos move by huge percents in a trading day. That's not real money when it moves like that. A roller coaster ride that goes on and on and on. Bitcoin's up, Bitcoin's down, Bitcoin's this, Bitcoin's that, and then all the others. So know that this is a side activity. I remember reading a rich guy posted something in the Wall Street Journal that he puts 3% of his assets into crypto. 3%. And he does it because he's learning from it and it's just like sport to him. But 97% of his money is invested in traditional ways. So this puts this into that category that you hear me talk about with play money that you can afford to lose and you can afford to sleep well at night with whatever happens. And if you get lucky and you get rich, You just got lucky. What percent do you have invested? Zero. (laughs) I mean, I'm not opposed to it. It's just not something that I get. You're not a gambler. I get no joy from it at all. I mean, okay. Years ago, I was at uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, as it was called then. And Krista asked me to put $20 down on some machine called the Tabasco machine. Mm-hmm. Is that the right name yeah, of it? Yeah, I love those. And it was some kind of... It was a slot was machine. It a poker machine? It a was slot a, machine. So I kept going around. You know, we were in so many different casinos. And I'd say, do you have something called a Tabasco machine? Two casinos. They went to these these long lists. And, and the second one, they had it. Showed me where it was. 
And I lost your $20 in like three minutes. I was in a bad mood the rest of that day because it wasn't even my money, but I'd lost $20 playing this stupid Tabasco thing with the lights flying around. I know. I wasn't upset, though, because I knew I could very well lose it. But I think the gambling gods uh, decided that you are not a gambler and that was supposed to teach me not to gamble. Well, the, the other thing at CES is parking in Vegas now has become very expensive. And I would go to, I don't know if you can still do this, but I go to Tropicana every day. And if you had the, the uh, receipt for your gambling from that day, the parking was free. So every day I'd go into Tropicana, I'd lose a dollar, get my receipt, and then that's what the day's parking would cost me. Because it wasn't even my money. It was the, the uh, media company that would send me uh-huh. to see us. It was their money. But I just couldn't see spending all that money on parking. I love it. That's hilarious. All right, we'll go to some questions. This one is from Vernon, South Dakota. Used cars are a hot commodity that I want to cash in on. A few years ago, I bought a used SUV for one-tenth of the original cost, $5,000. Good job, Vern. Like the common question about fixing up a home to sell, what is the most I should spend fixing up my ride to get the best price? Okay, so when you've got a very old, in this case, SUV, because when you bought it, it was five grand, and now you've been driving it for a while and you're trying to figure it out, if it's working, because now you're down to who knows what the value remains, you're good to go selling it. But if the car is not drivable now, the SUV is not drivable, and you can fix it for a couple of thousand dollars, not more than its remaining value would be if it was fixed, then fix it because the market's really strong for any inventory of used vehicles right now. It would be an advantage to you having it running and working and selling it to somebody. Uh, Consumer Report says with any used vehicle, even if you weren't selling it, um, whatever its value is, it it makes good sense to spend up to that value repairing it. I used to say 50 cents on the dollar, but I'd say now with the disruptions in the vehicle marketplace, Consumer Reports is more right about this than I am. And I would look at, you know, publications like Auto Trader and see in your area what they're going for, see if they're selling and for what prices around, if you can tell, because that'll definitely be a good gauge. Um, This is from Greg in California. I know you like online savings accounts to park rainy day funds. However, at best, they're only getting a half percent interest, which is losing out badly to inflation. What do you think about short-term investment grade bond funds? I know it's still not getting you all the way there with inflation, but it has recently been paying two to four times the online banks, and money can be withdrawn as fast, if not faster, than online banks. Yeah, so Greg, uh, doing an ultra short or a short-term bond fund is a relatively low-risk thing, but the value is not fixed at a price per share. So as interest rates rise in the economy, In the shorter term, you could see a loss in value of the fund. So you can't think of it as a mad money account that you use for immediate availability because, yes, you can get the money right away, but you may cost yourself in total return of the money you put in. So I think it's perfectly fine to have some amount of money in an online savings account. It's the money you know you're more likely to use, 
the money that is your backup to your backup, putting it in an ultra short or a short is just fine. And Vanguard is such a great choice for that. That's why they dominate bond funds because their cost structure is so ridiculously low. This is from Susan in Florida. My 18-year-old son is starting his first full-time job. I want him to start saving for his retirement. What's the best way for him to do this, and how much should he save? Uh, Well, he should save 100% of his paycheck. No, Susan. He should start doing a Roth IRA. Doing that at 18 is so ridiculously powerful for long-term financial security, it's crazy. He can put up to $6,000 a year into a Roth IRA. Um, He can start one with just a dollar, basically, at Fidelity or Schwab. And he can go into, in a Roth IRA, which the money grows tax-free, down the road it's spent tax-free. You can put the money in a target retirement fund. Vanguard, you need a $1,000 minimum for that. And then again, at Fidelity and Schwab, you don't. But over time, he's going to want to build up a lot of money in that Roth because doing that 18, 19, then through his 20s, by the time he's 30, he will have built up a war chest. If he maxes out the Roth these next 12 years, my goodness, he'll be so crazily set. What would that be over 12 years? $72,000 if he could do that. He will be so set for retirement way down the road, it's a shocker having put that much money aside over these next 12 years. And I've given a lot of advice over the years for something that is inevitable and it's time when we pass away. I've talked about how to avoid the funeral home ripoff. And now the rules of the game, the, the sand is shifting under our feet on how to save money on a funeral, burial, cremation. I want to talk through some of the strategies that are starting to work more and the things that I talked about in the past that are starting to work less. That You need to know there's a new rule book, and that's coming straight ahead for you. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Something we never really want to talk about, Krista, is what happens at the time when we pass away. And I don't know if you've had that conversation with your husband? I've had it with my husband. Have you had a conversation with your parents, what they want at the time of their passing? No, I don't want to ask them. I don't want to think about it. Am I the one that's going <laughs> to ha- think about See, me and my husband? This is like every other family. <laughs> You're the one who's going to have to figure it out and you won't even ask them. You may call your mom and dad. No, I'm sure they have it written down. No. <laughs> you look so nervous because <laughs> you know I'd call them. I say, know you would. Hey, Krista won't talk about it. What do you want? So I'm sure they have it written down. They're very responsible. Well, then at least you could ask them, hey, um, what is it you want to have happen at the time when the time comes? What do they say when something happens to you is the way of saying it's not about death. I mean, you need to do this. Okay. 
You're not going to do it. No, I will. I will. No, it's I just hard. You're not going to do it. Uh, the reason this is important is because you can't be a mind reader and you don't know what somebody else might really want, right? So that's why it's important that you have a conversation with your loved ones who you may be left being the one who has to figure it out. And so that's where the funeral industry has always made a fortune, either playing on your guilt or your sadness. They eat you up with unbelievably expensive funerals. Well, in my case, I pulled that out of the equation because over 40 years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I joined my state memorial society. There are these uh, funeral and memorial societies around the country. <laughs> You're probably the youngest person to ever join that. Well, I know. I mean, death is something that doesn't. Yeah. Phase no, I know, me. but I'm just saying you and, probably are. And so I know it's going to happen someday, and I didn't want anybody to have to try to figure out what I wanted. And historically, you see about these groups at funerals.org. They do all kinds of advocacy and talk you through how to do it and help you if, if like Christy, you haven't had the conversation with your parents and that time comes and you don't know what to do, uh, state or local memorial society will walk you through the tricks of the trade and how to protect your wallet and all that. And a lot of people feel like that's unseemly. And the funeral homes prey on that where they figure, um, you know, you don't want to talk about something crass like money at a time like this do you You want to make sure that you do the absolute best for your now dearly departed uh-uh you want to make sure that that those around you know and if you are someone who's not told your adult kids what you want to have happen at the time you pass away or if something happens to you however you deal with that death topic then Please tell your kids what you want. You want burial. You want cremation. You want a fancy dancy casket. You want to be buried in a pine box. You want to be cremated and you don't want any box at all. Whatever it is you want, tell them. Tell them. If you have prepaid for a funeral, tell them. And for you, I want to explain something that. This funeral society I joined 40-plus years ago, what they did and what most of them did is they would use group buying power. They would go out and negotiate with funeral homes and negotiate deals deals on funerals and cremations. And usually, they'd cut the price that you would pay on average about 80%. Well, now... The funeral industry has been through a bunch of what are called roll-ups. And there are these very large uh, national and international chains that have gobbled up a lot of the funeral homes, a lot of the cemeteries and all that. There are a much smaller number of independents. But now there are groups that I've detailed on Clark.com where you can real-time shop for the services that you need for a departed loved one at the time. Uh, there was someone who, who I knew who lost a loved one, and there were no prior arrangements made. And 
I helped her through the process of basically how do you find, I know this sounds crass again, find a deal on the services required at the time someone passes away. And so the marketplace now gives you the ability, even though these nonprofit organizations are having a tougher and tougher time doing the group buying power negotiations, there's things you can do at the time that will save you money, whatever the arrangements are that your loved one wants. But you got to know what they want first, Krista. Okay. And so when you, when you know what those are, then you've got your ground rules and you know how to go shop it. And shop it, you can't. Now, my deal is I don't want my wife to have to spend any money on me at the time of my death. And so I want to donate my body to medicine because there are a number of places you can donate and then they uh, use your body for whatever they need and then they dispose of it and there's no cost. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to, I want to be of help to others if I can. Somebody wants my uh, stigmatism eyes or somebody wants whatever of me, any of my vital organs, they can have them, give somebody else sight or life. That's what I want to do. And I don't want to cause any financial cost for my family at all. That's my thing. See, that's my wishes. Mm -hmm. Um, There are other people who want their favorite football team casket. (laughs) You ever seen these things? Yes, I have. And they can be a zillion dollars. Oh, and by the way, for caskets, here's something a funeral home doesn't want you to know. You don't have to buy their stinking, rotten, lousy, overpriced casket. You are allowed by federal law to buy a casket on the internet. There are lots of sellers of caskets, great caskets, ultra cheap, a fraction of the cost of the ones, the ripoff ones from the funeral homes. You can even buy them at Costco. Costco sells caskets, usually for a fifth the cost of a funeral home casket. And so... You don't have to play by their rules at the funeral home. You don't have to go through the emotional manipulation of the funeral home. And if you are a funeral director, I know everything I'm saying is offensive to you. I'm not trying to offend you. You may be very dedicated to what you do and very caring towards the family members that come in. But your industry has become one with these big national and international players that is a master at manipulation of people's emotions and their wallets. And I got to make sure that people who are maybe hurting emotionally, that you know how the game is played and you know how to protect the family resources. Imagine you have a mom and dad and one of them passes away and the money to live going forward is very valuable to the survivor. And they end up paying a huge amount of money for a funeral. And then that's money they don't have to spend to live anymore. And on cremation, there's become, since majority of Americans now are cremated, some parts of the country it's more than 80% are cremated, there are now very competitive offers in the marketplace particularly in mid-size and large metro areas, for cremation. 
So you can drive that cost down, down, down by shopping around. And again, at Clark.com, you can see resources for when somebody passes away and there have been no arrangements made in advance that you can shop them. Be very wary of buying cemetery plots. The number of people, as I said, being buried shrinks every year as people instead are choosing to be cremated. So families will spend a lot of money. It is not an investment. They'll spend a lot of money buying a big family section of plots at a cemetery when maybe three-quarters of the family members aren't going to want to be buried there. It's a problem all over the country. So that's why these are conversations of philosophy and desires that should be discussed. And Krista, your assignment. I hear you. Okay. Waiting to hear you report back. Okay. How am I going to transition this? Um, We have to make light, right? So speaking of laying down with your eyes closed, Frank in Texas says. That was very good. (laughs) When is the best time of year to buy a new mattress and where is the best store to buy it? Okay. So mattresses are a market that has become hyper-competitive. It used to be controlled by three big players and technology improvements have led to a wide open, oversaturated marketplace. And the prices of mattresses have been going down, down, down. And the warranties have been getting to be extreme. So now because the the compression of mattresses that lowered the shipping costs so much, uh, mattresses generally have gotten significantly cheaper. You can still go spend a fortune on a mattress. You don't have to. As for the cycles, when they tend to be at the best prices, our best guess based on the research we did at Clark.com is the three television ratings months. Don't know what the connection is between the key ratings months and local television and the cost of a mattress. But February, May, and November are the three months historically that have had the best deals on mattresses. But there's sales all the time now because of people having to liquidate excess inventory in the bed in a box industry. And look at the, you don't get to lie on them anymore. You know, you order them over the internet typically. So you want to make sure that it comes with a right to return for any reason for a full refund, not a credit, for a full refund, typical sleep guarantee is three months in the industry. How do you get that thing back in the box, though? They come and get it from you. Oh, okay. I read a story. (laughs) I can't remember if it was New York Times or Wall Street Journal did a story about what's involved with for Casper, which was the mm-hmm. originator who deserves the credit for changing the betting industry for not just the United States, but they've really been a disruptor for this around the world with the technology, that what they go through, if you say, I, I don't like this mattress, please come and get it, what it's like for them getting that mattress, hauling it away, there are states where it can be refinished and then made available to a charity or whatever. There are others that once a mattress has been slept on, 
it's now just uh, garbage at that point. But it is, uh, the thing is with the mattresses, most people end up loving the mattress they get and the return rates are very low. But if you hate it, you don't want to be stuck being out for a king like uh, five or $600. That's my price range. Your price range, $1,800, dollars <laughs> Anyway, you, you want to know that you have an out if that mattress turns out to be, for you, a piece of garbage. And know that the warehouse clubs have become a huge seller of these beds in a box that, that they oh, you cut them open the way you're told to and they just spring to form. And they, they never really could do a lot with the mattress stuff because mattresses took up so much square footage in the warehouses. And now with the bed in a box, they're offering big inventories both in person and online and at very low price points. This is from Andrew in Minnesota. My toddler fractured his leg and needed to get a boot to protect it. We were sent to a children's specialty clinic where he was given the boot. I didn't think much of it until we received the bill, $629. Our insurance covered $176.75, leaving us with a bill of $452. I found the same boot on Amazon for $43.99. Sure. The clinic is trying to charge 1,430% more. I called to dispute the charge and what I found on with what I found on Amazon, they told me we are not Amazon and we are a more expensive clinic. They said I could return the boot if it hasn't been used. We of course used the boot because they put it on him in the clinic and we didn't receive the bill until weeks later. How can clinics get away with this robbery? I do not want to pay this severely inflated price. What are my options? Andrew, you can only try to negotiate a lower price on that. And that's all I can tell you. Now, a lot of people, um, I don't know if you've heard this, people are buying who have kids that are doing sports. They're going to like Walmart or Amazon or whatever. And they're buying a supply of things like uh, the knee things and wow. all that um, for like no money. And then if their kid ends up getting injured on the playground or playing sport or whatever, they already have them. Because what you found, the price difference, you said 43 on Amazon mm-hmm. and 629 mm-hmm. from the clinic. This is, that is not a fluke. This is true. Anytime you get a medical device from a medical facility, the markup will be at least 1,000%, but usually probably more. And that's why with kids having some of these things. and. Um, where was I? Oh, I was in Aldi the other day, and that's not unusual. No. And they had, in their Wellbe brand, they had all these different injury devices that they were selling for like $2, $5, whatever. And I was thinking about what those things cost inside a hospital, a clinic, or a doctor's office. And then this post comes through. This is a terrible, terrible problem. So you want to try to get some kind of negotiated discount. But obviously, don't be, uh, I know you're angry. Be polite as you try to negotiate this because it is insane the way medicine works in the United States and the cost of medical care and 
ancillary things like something that's $40 on Amazon and then a zillion dollars at a clinic. And the answer, well, we're not Amazon. Well, let me tell you something. Amazon is coming for you because Amazon has decided that this is an area they're trying to get into as well. And Walmart is. You know what I love? Have you ever been in one of the Walmart health centers? You ever seen them? Mm -mm. So you go there and they have an electronic board. And everything they do is posted. The prices that the doctor charges or this professional or that one. Everything you go there for. You know before you walk through the door what it's going to cost. And this is what we need to do in medicine, price transparency. Because I'll tell you, even with your toddler hurting, if they told you it was going to be $1,500 for a $40 item, you would say, thank you very much. You'd carry your toddler to the car. You'd go order on Amazon. or You'd go to Walmart and get it right then and there. And you wouldn't be ripped off by the clinic. But the lack of price disclosure is a real problem. Sorry, I went on that diatribe <laughs> about okay. medicine. So let's see. So I picked on the funeral homes, picked on the medical industry. Who else did I? Mattress industry, kind of, the old I mattress. Really, no, no, I it, guess not. The, no, it's just, okay. it's actually a positive yeah. that a new way of doing it is so much better for your wallet. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of our team Remember, we answer your questions one-on-one, -on -one, individual advice for free at our Team Clark Consumer Action Center, open Monday through Friday, 10 in the morning Eastern till 4 in the afternoon Eastern. You can reach someone for one-on-one -on -one advice at 636-49-CLARK.